Hello, and welcome to this episode of 10,000 Posts. It's the show about how everything is posting. My name is Hussein. You can follow me at HKizvani. I talk mostly about, uh, I, you know, honestly, I was going to say I talk about like digital culture and politics and media, but really I just talk about energy drinks and how much I love my wife. Uh, and as always, I'm joined uh, by... Uh, hello, my name is Phoebe. Uh, you can follow me at PRHRoy on Twitter. Uh, I said last week that I mainly post about walruses, and it's still true. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm. Uh, it's, it's very entertaining content. Uh, I'm, I, I'm think I'm, con- I'm considering doing my pivot to bird watching soon. So uh, I might. Oh no, be... no, no, we are like we are properly thinking about like thinking about get like getting into that. I'm yeah. or, I'm or, I'm already into trees now. <laughs> Birds is the next step. I uh, take pictures of trees. I send them to people. Yeah, I'm gonna add you to my tree list. Oh no, please do. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. honestly, please do. Um, uh, this show is supported by Patreon. Um, for five bucks a month, you uh get a weekly bonus episode, and you also get access to our archive of bonus content. Um, there's getting on for about eighty episodes on there now and um there's also some other exciting stuff coming down the pipeline for subscribers only so please do consider supporting the show we are joined this week by uh one of my favorite writers on the internet actually uh carl Chaker. he's a contributing writer for the new yorker covering digital culture and technology also the co-founder of dirt a daily newsletter about digital culture which is also really really good uh kyle how's it going good i was gonna say that i'm also a big fan of your twitter Oh, thank That's you so much. I'm, I, 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 I'm blushing, but also the the humidity of London <laughs> right now might make it difficult to uh, <laughs> to, uh, to 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 tell. No, Carl, you wrote this really interesting essay in the New Yorker recently about algorithmic anxiety, which is something that like we've sort of like we we talk about it quite a lot on the show, but we've never really given it a name. Yeah. And when I was reading the essay, like a lot of it just kind of like you know it, it was nice number one to sort of know that oh like we aren't kind of going and saying like this is genuinely a thing but what i think like what your essay also brought up which was quite interesting is that um algorithmic anxiety uh kind of like and how we sort of respond to it will really determine what the future of like the internet is going to look or, like kind of consuming on the internet is going to look like uh so i think that's going to be that'll be like a really cool discussion but i want to talk about a different type of consumption <laughs> first uh that segue was good i really like that good. No, yeah no, no, thank no, you i'm gonna give myself a little pat on the back yeah yeah no um, uh, we're do, talking. Do more of them. Uh, look, we are talking. Like uh, as always, uh, we ask our guests. Like, if there's a tweet or a post or something that like they're just they just like want to talk about for ten minutes, mainly because you know it might kind of live rent free or just that they just find it so interesting and bizarre. Um, Kyle, you sent us a couple of TikToks, uh, and I'm gonna like. Well, Phoebe hasn't seen it, so I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you this first okay, of all. I'm, I'm just gonna describe what I'm seeing. Yeah, describe what you're uh, seeing, and then we, we can ask see, Kyle. Um, an Italian man, you can't see his head, you can see a bit of his chin. He's got some good got some good designer stubble and he is making a sandwich. That is a nice large piece of ciabatta, I think. That he's okay. Yeah. Slicing. He's slicing. He's got a big knife. He's using the same knife for the whole procedure, which I'm not sure I, I agree with. <laughs> on the sandwich one. Okay, he's still he's still Yeah. Okay. okay. Th- there's something like there's something oddly graphic about his <laughs> about his sandwich making. Yeah. There's a bit just when he's just finished um when he's just finished like putting the kind of the ham and the ham and the mozzarella together and he kind of holds it up and kind of presents it and it's kind of sort of dripping mozzarella juice. There's something like oddly yeah. pornographic 
about see, it. Do you want to see another one? Yeah, I do. All which right, is just not something that you expect to see in a sandwich making video. Oh, he's got there's a, there's another there's another guy. He's in the background. He's wandered into shop. Okay, so what kind of bread have we got this time? That's not ciabatta. They're not very aesthetic, his sandwiches, are yeah, they? He's just yeah. sort of chucking. He's just kind of chucking stuff in. What's that? I don't know what the kind of process. This is really good for a non-visual is, me- medium. Like the, but- what do you think it is? Please write in and tell us what you think. I'm saying. What's that about? <laughs> well, I can only describe that. Oh, that looks horrible. Yeah, I describe that as like the vegetables you get at school dinner when you go to a British school. Yeah. Put into a sandwich, but they get rid of all the best bits of the it, bread, which is the soft stuff. It looks like the stuff that people are always like who who are always like trying to persuade you to like batch cook. Yeah. Who like? Oh, I feel like uh, they're a whole other episode. The fucking batch cook people. Is, like, yeah. I'm, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have such strong opinions about this. And like, if you find it, if you find it helps with busy weeks, or if you have like executive dysfunction, or you don't like cooking, like, fine, whatever, go for your life. But there's just something just so miserable about that kind of that weird color the vegetables get, yeah. and the little this, kind of Tupperwares with the with the with the boiled protein and the yeah. little salad jars in the fridge i was just going to say before we before we give it to carl to explain what exactly i've been we've been looking at and what the protein <laughs> is i don't know what, what is, it is what is I it i don't know what it is like, like there, sorry there is absolutely no reason or excuse to cut carrots like that why are they so thickly cut yeah it feels like it- listen to you listen to me donato <laughs> learn to julian or don't put carrots in yeah. your sandwich who puts carrots in a sandwich this anyway def- this definitely feels like when i meal when i've done like meal prepping in the past when i've done like vegetables and stuff and you have a bunch left over and you know you usually just have it with like fish or like some kind of like you know, protein or something you wouldn't put it in a, like it feels weird to put it in a sandwich which is to say kyle number number one question why is he putting this stuff into a sandwich what am i looking at here i think it's kind of inexplicable like mm-hmm. the these are clearly italian sandwiches this is a guy as far as we know, in central Naples somewhere, working in a sandwich shop. And the thing about like the TikToks of the sandwiches is the sandwiches look horrible. They're like mm-hmm. really gross, like violently assembled, slapped together sandwiches. Mm-hmm. And I think like, you know, on TikTok you encounter something totally devoid of context. And you're just like, okay, now I'm seeing this guy make sandwiches. What's going on? And it's like normally on TikTok you get elegant food and like nice video editing and things that look appealing to eat and instead this guy is like violently murdering a piece of bread like stabbing (laughs) it and then doing the like the motion of just gutting the bread sometimes he scoops out the middle the soft middle of the bread he's he's scooping out the middle now (laughs) and then he just he like also murders some mozzarella log like chops it up super roughly chops up salami super roughly and just like puts it all together and i think like the the draw to the videos and the like funny thing about them is that it's like so gross and the the comments Mm. like the funniest part to me is the comment sections of these videos where it's people reacting with total disgust so like yeah they are are reacting with disgust in italian which is there's some, I mean, there's some English. Like there's like a. Uh, oh, wait, no, hang on. A boiled vegetable sandwich. What more could anyone <laughs> want? No, the the um, English comments are great. Because I think, like, you know, if you, you go to Italy and you get sandwiches, they don't look like your, your average American sandwich. Like, yeah. you're going to get a dry panini with, like, some prosciutto, and that's what it's supposed mm. to be. But people, yeah. like, don't understand that. And I think 
watching this guy assemble like what is by all accounts a very normal sandwich just okay so basically the other question i had because i was watching this and i was like is he just like fucking around because like some of his TikToks, he kind of hashtags like viral TikTok, which yeah. kind of was, you know, number one sign of like what you're trying to do. But is it the case that like, was he just making normal sandwiches, realizing that like he's getting a bunch of comments saying that they're gross or disgusting or weird. And then he realizes that, oh, I've landed on like a really easy to do, but fun content <laughs> format. How many, how many scrolls do you think that we're going to do before someone uh, makes some repulsive, horny remark? Oh, they they definitely exist. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I, no, I, no, I know. I'm, 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 I'm yeah, asking Carl to got, guess got how many scrolls sandwich. I did before I found the first horny comment. I think like, I mean, a few pages of comments, like maybe three scrolls of comments before someone That's was exactly like, exactly right, stab me with your knife, Italian. <laughs> you, really, you, you, you really are a follower of old no, I, I love them. I love them. Do you remember? Do you remember that episode we did ages ago with Riley about yeah. um, about the Ital- about the Italian fascist food futurists? Yes, we, so mm. we were talking Marionetti and yeah. uh, food futurism and how that how how you can see those influences in like those weird Facebook food videos, which are like purposefully disgusting or weird. And I think we used the example of that woman who like, um, there was one where they were doing like fruit punch bowls in a toilet. Um, Mm. And there was another one where they they did like a nacho bowl, but they put all the nachos and the cheese and stuff on like a marble countertop and they were like mixing it with their hands. Mm. Um, And I, I don't know whether it came from the same person, but... I think um, Ryan the Bro- same yeah. tendency, same tendency, <laughs> yeah. but also Ryan Broderick in his newsletter he pointed out that for like some of these people were ju- are just kind of like classic click farmers in the sense that like they they've been doing like Facebook ads and this type of like viral content for a long time. Uh, one of the people who would who was making these disgusting food videos that were getting like loads of hits and everything used to be a magician. Um, so they were they were running like a magic like Facebook page and then they pivoted towards doing towards disgusting food videos yeah so okay so i have so i have a suggestion you can take it you can take it or leave it do you think i'm saying do you think um like i'm expecting any kind of discussion to arise from what (laughs) i'm about to say um i'm just going to make it as a suggestion is this the like the counterweight to fascist like italo food futurism because it's not it's not about building it's not about like kind of building healthy soldiers for the fascist republic this is like this is bread this is like this is like kind of on like undrained mozzarella this is like weird like casserole ingredients it's probably one of those things it looks like it looks like something that you make when you come in drunk at night when you just start like kind of seizing kind of ingredients and just kind of slamming them together and it like it's disgusting and it's foul and you would die on the spot if anyone important saw you but also it tastes really good so i'm wondering if it's like it's supposed to be a kind of like like almost like the kind of the degenerate art answer to italian food futurism like it's like it's supposed to be kind of like sloppy and voluptuous and disgusting Mm. yeah it's supposed to be Um, uneven and like inelegant non-symmetrical like this is not something that you compose i think like my theory is that this is exactly how he has always done his job and just suddenly yeah. <laughs> he started posting TikToks cuz the movements are too practiced not yeah. so for him to not have done them hundreds of thousands of times mm. like yeah. he's not playfully 
fucking up the salami. Like that's just how he cuts. <laughs> that's the just salami. how he does it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I think it's just like caught on, and like the TikTok algorithmic feed like pushed it to a million more people who are like, oh my god, what the fuck are these sandwiches? Like either I want to eat yeah. them or I think they're disgusting. Or I just think it's a hilarious collision of random stuff. Like, I remember after I started flipping through all of his videos, there also started being people parodying him and mm. like taking his audio and like setting up some pasta in the background of their kitchen and then just like chopping up a piece of bread <laughs> and then taking, you know, Trader Joe's salami and laying it on their hamburger bun or whatever. Yeah. So I think it's just like, he, he kind of looks like Joe Rogan. <laughs> oh don't say that he does he does but you don't have to say, oh now i can't see anything else he looks like well, is joe rogan yeah. italian is joe rogan italian oh you know what like let's let's just feel like that. let's feel just like, like drop that as a let's yeah, drop that as a discussion i feel like if you um, answered that it would open up like a very complicated kind of <laughs> all right we've we've works. run the we've run the race <laughs> on joe rogan. Racism, <laughs> we are we are yeah. able to so because rogan's not an italian name uh, I'm not. I'm not answering any question. Like you know, I already uh, already had also, my trouble. Also, today. Italy's not real. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Um, Come on. Well, a lot of his like most suggest. Yeah, a, a lot of his most a lot of his most recent videos are uh, are just is like him answering questions. Now it's in Italian. I didn't like no. Like I assume none of us can speak Italian. No, but I was um, I was exploring this page last night in preparation yeah. for this undertaking, and it seems to be <laughs> that his TikToks were getting so popular and he was becoming this like celebrity that his boss kicked him out of the sandwich shop. Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> he no longer has his sandwich making job. Oh and no. So he he's posted, like, he's post- doing he it. He posted his way out of it. <laughs> it reminds me a bit about the, but you know, like that trend, not that long ago of like sub, like people who worked in subway and they were like filming themselves, putting sandwiches together. And I think a couple of them like lost their jobs because they were like filming themselves making sandwiches and uploading it onto YouTube and getting like all these hits and stuff. Um, it's great content. Now we know sandwiches are just great content. Yeah. Well, I think like this is the other thing too. I think like sandwiches and like just you know, obviously food content is kind of has always been like one of the most popular formats and cross formatting and stuff as well. And I so this was and the thing about his sound like some of the sandwich videos that I saw was that like not all of it, they're not kind of like grossly excessive like the videos that we were talking about when we did the show with Riley. Mm. Um, some of them are just really simple sandwiches. Like we saw like the meat and the, the the mozzarella and prosciutto sandwich. Like it's not you know the way, but it's like the way he makes it and the way that he kind of presents it is like anti aesthetic. Like it's a very simple, yes. you know, it's like yeah, one of those yeah. things where like, if you were making the sandwich at home, you would like eat it because it probably tastes quite good. But when you're sort of posting it, there's still this expectation whenever you post food that it has to kind of embody some sort of aesthetic. So like for all the grossness of like the toilet bowl, Haribo slushy or whatever, like aesthetically, like there is something oh. there that is visually appealing. Um, when it comes to like the sort of minimalist like food presentations, there is something visually appealing. None of this is visually appealing. But the and I wonder food futurists were deliberately anti-aesthetic as well. Like their whole right. position was that like uh was like this was like kind of pasta and like girly food was like was like destroying the kind of the moral fibre of the Right. Of the, they were of, of the body policy. Food. They were like, yeah. oh, let's come up with an even more aestheticized form of food yeah. that's like yeah. for the oh, modern yeah, man. Whereas it's this all is aesthetics. Like it's all aesthetics all the way old. down. This is this this is just this is just a man doing violence <laughs> to an avocado. That's what this is. 
Yeah. It's and real I, food. And I, and I wonder if there's like something like kind of revolutionary in that. Or like not revolutionary is probably not the right word. I think revolutionary but like, is a big word. It might be a bit. It might, yeah, it might be a bit much. But it might, but also at the same time, it's like you know, has this guy sort of just, you know, ha- has he sort of just like, uh, or or is this kind of like a reaction to the idea that like food on the internet is kind of broadly aestheticized and like a, 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 like an attempt not to do that and like not to say that oh I'm going to create like purposefully kind of gross food or I'm going to like deliberately emphasize that you know this food is not there for aesthetic purposes because again i was i'm i was thinking about that show that david chang show on netflix uh ugly delicious where the whole premise of it is like oh you know food looks too good online and on tv and like what we want to show is that like you know these kind of sloppy ugly meals are actually the most delicious thing again like embodying its own aesthetic this guy doesn't seem to kind of be engaging in that side either for him it's just like here is how a normal person would make food and maybe that yeah. feels kind of disorientating just the idea that like or just like watching someone just doing something so mundane but in a way that like where he's not even bothering that much to f- even think about what it aesthetically looks like mm. even on a basic level right yeah i, mean, I don't know maybe i'm overthinking it it's like that is this the is what sandwiches show, so. look like in an italian sandwich shop like there'll be a tray of 10 of these sandwiches and they don't look yeah. that amazing it's not like mm. it, the bread is just like a lump of crusty bread and there's some slices of meat in it like it's not very image heavy food mm. whereas right. even if you got like a spanish sandwich shop or whatever like some tortilla sandwiches looking fancy and cool like it's i think the italian sandwich culture is just like not super visually pleasing necessarily but it's just how they're made like that's they weren't made to be looked at they were made to be eaten at a counter like i think that might have been artichoke what we were unable to identify but what the other the stuff that he was put maybe mm, yeah. yeah maybe i was wondering if it was some kind of mushroom it looked like kind of preserved artichoke interesting okay i i assume that it was some kind of mushroom but well Mush- i don't know mushroom and carrots in a sandwich that is one of the like yucky looking sandwiches <laughs> yeah. like, I, would, I think okay another theory of mine with these is that like part of the draw comes with people imagining eating them they're like oh my god i would love to actually eat this and see if it is disgusting or good <laughs> like, <laughs> like the mystery is there and they're like yeah some tiktoks are like wow that looks delicious i'm sure if i ate it, it would be great but this the yeah. sandwich you want to eat it just to find out if it's good or terrible there's something of like like almost like the urban legend about it it's like it's like a kind of contemporary version of like I don't know if this was a thing when you were a kid, but like oh you know that if you like eat like eat these sweets at the same time as like <laughs> as like a can of coke you'll die because it'll like erupt in your throat. Um, and so obviously like that's the first thing we did. Yeah. But is it like that? Like make this sandwich, eat it. It's a challenge. See what it's like. <laughs> yeah, I think like. It's not every day you see someone chop up an entire mozzarella ball and then put it in one sandwich. And it's kind of like, wow, what would happen if I ate an entire mozzarella ball? I mean, it would I've probably be that. great. I've, I've done that. <laughs> I've eaten I've eaten a bowl of mozzarella like an apple. I don't care. <laughs> that would maybe, be great maybe TikTok should, content. That would be great someone TikTok content. The, just, like, just me eating things like an apple that should not be eaten like an apple. <laughs> Someone's got to yeah, be but, doing it. But just like looking yeah. for his TikTok, yeah, like it doesn't seem like he's. What's re- that? What's that big pink thing? Uh, well, it's salami. Oh, okay. I assume, or it's like some sort of ham. Um, I think it. Well, it looks preserved. Yeah, we're watching one more sandwich video. One more sandwich video. All right, so like he's cut the bread. 
Okay, this uh, is actually my favorite comment. Someone has just said, there are so many bags of pasta. Why not just make some pasta? <laughs> Which is a great question. It's a great question. Because he makes sandwiches. That's why. Because he makes sandwiches, and... Daniel. <laughs> that's um, the name of the commentator. I'm not just a... That's a, right. A so he's like the cutting the cheese. Mm-hmm. He's got like a oh, massive... Oh, that's a, that's a, a, that's a, a massive... lot. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I, I, That's I want, a lot I just of salami. Want to, I want to explain what we've just seen. Look so, at the way it's like, like hanging out. Okay. So the video starts off with a massive thing of salami, that's, right? Like that's it's huge, enormous. So is that what it normally looks like? I don't know. If I, I don't eat yeah. meat. I don't know. I don't know what scales you scales. <laughs> no, normal salami doesn't with. look that big. He, he cuts a normal <laughs> bit of ciabatta. The ciabatta looks fine. Mm-hmm. He then brings out a massive like wet of ham it's mm-hmm. very wet that's is, the thing but salami shouldn't be wet it's cured it should be dry sometimes i mean you can have cold cuts and some cold cuts can be a little bit like they have moisture attached to it oh i don't like that. um is this like look good. yeah yeah. And, yeah oh what the sausage yeah isn't mortadella like it's like the bologna like one smaller mortadella is huge it's like Oh, is it? Okay. So he then gets the sandwich back and he puts on... Sorry, these... I didn't realise we were talking to a sausage expert. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, then he, and then he puts on these two kind of like quite chunky bits of cheese. Like yeah. if I was making a meat, if I was making a sandwich with meat and cheese in it, and I don't do that very often, you usually like, I think the gay, usually you kind of, I don't want to say usually because apparently like in Spain, like that's not the case, but you would kind of like cut quite thin slices of cheese, right? This is just sort of seems to be... You just whack off two bits of cheese from the thing, slap it on the thing. There's not even you like mean Italy. Italy, sorry, I thought I didn't know. Um, and uh, like he doesn't even put any butter on the bread or like any sort of seasonings or like even any salad. It's just like meat and cheese slapped on it. I don't put butter on on sometimes, bread when I'm I, making I sandwiches. Don't, I don't really put butter, but like sometimes people do. But it's like nothing. It's just like these two ingredients, and I'm sure. Like again, I I look at it. It's like I am sure I don't eat ham. Um, but I'm sure for people who do like that, like tastes probably tastes really good mm. but it's just like it is just not a step like you would if you posted that on instagram or something <laughs> like i feel like people would just get really mad at you right the madness my, my, my... is the point it's like yeah i don't think he's exactly. trolling anyone exactly yeah, like, yeah. I, trolling, no, no, I, but i quite agree like people he's are producing degenerate art it's supposed yeah. to annoy you this is this is the <laughs> this is a sandwich version of duchamp's toilet that's what this is supposed to be <laughs> yeah well okay so so that means that like you know for some some people will like broadly supportive and some people will become like paul joseph watson's and just get really mad about it and become like extremely angry reactionary right-wing like fascist i would i would watch paul joseph watson angrily eating a piece of wet cheese oh my god oh my god that'll be really fun like you know how i would i would watch that you know those those gordon ramsay tiktoks or those gordon ramsay videos where he's like sort of live watching people like cooking really like cooking really badly have you ever seen them okay so they're actually like some of them are quite like reacts Um, to the yeah and he like, and it's his classic Gordon Ramsay, like he'll kind of, you know, swear a lot and be like, oh, you're a fucking idiot. Why are you like, you know, putting the steak on like that hot stuff? I don't know what, what, like, what he says, but I, I would absolutely watch Paul Joseph Watson reacting to this guy making sandwiches. Because um, I think that would be a very, very funny format. And I don't know, like uh, based on like Alex Jones, like being in court right now and what's going to happen, he might be like in the need for some new work or some new formats like fairly well, soon. Paul Joseph Watson has been trying to distance himself from Alex Jones because oh. of the Sandy Hook stuff. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, he's still posting like insane content. So oh, you yeah, no, no, you, I'm you, sure you, he you is, wouldn't really but, be able to tell like, the difference. He's not, he's, he's, he's not 
that into the I see. Okay. Well, stuff. apologies for that. that. That's not a, you got to hand it to him. It's, <laughs> no, it's more no, no, that he's just no, a bit more, no. he's just a bit more sensible and yeah. circumspect no, absolutely. about the stuff we are not that he handing uh, anything to Paul Joseph Watson. The stuff um, that he supports I, publicly. Yeah. But I do want to see him as someone who also doesn't know how to cook food. Like all the meals that he has posted online have looked fucking horrible. I would love to see him react to like this guy making sandwiches. I just I I would quite like to just like post a picture of like one of my like real like struggle dinners like my you know like, like my come down meal yeah, yeah and just and just like row after row after row of like cry laugh emojis just being like you mad <laughs> <laughs> and then just like watch my stock rise well yeah next time next time um i make new like plain noodles with peas i'm gonna do that i have well, ha i have this um i have this uh pudding which i have when i'm sad oh yeah what's the sad um, what's the sad which, struggle meal uh, which george hates like beyond all like possible reason okay. George my partner um I was explaining that to Kyle not to you because you know him um and it what it is is you get like uh, you get a really really like kind of supermarket basics chocolate mousse okay you empty that into a bowl and then you get one of those round trees individual jellies right you empty that into a bowl <laughs> into the same bowl right. and then you kind of mash it up and kind of mash them together right and then just chuck it just chuck it down I your face i don't think that's that bad uh I apparently think, yeah. it looks like cat food which <laughs> oh, yeah, i can yeah. sort of see yeah because it's got the kind of the jelly chunks yeah. in amongst the kind of the, yeah. sort of the brown the brown yeah, but i think if you mash up enough it can become like a pate and like that could taste <laughs> no it still like, looks like it still looks like food. cat food <laughs> yeah, like, you, you don't want to look at it unless it's yeah. like yeah. bad content but then it becomes i lived on my own for such a long time yeah and so i got used to being able to eat my cat food <laughs> yeah in, in front of the tv of an eve of an evening and then i and then i moved in with him and suddenly it's all yeah you now, can't possibly put that in yeah, your now, mouth <laughs> now he judges you and he's just like you've got to eat vegetables and like have I you know. eaten enough fiber today i know before, oh, why yeah. is it so mean <laughs> before the end of the segment uh kyle i wanted to ask you what's your favorite struggle meal uh well do, number one do you have one and would you want to describe it in very graphic terms for our listeners? Yeah, I, I actually made this last night because my girlfriend's out on a reporting trip. But there's like oh, a, do, a dude rock moment. Yeah, okay. there's so I, I studied abroad in China and studied Chinese for a long time. And so I had this like super home home cooked stuff there, which is tomato and egg stir fry. And this mm. could be eaten for like any meal of the day, whenever you want, super easy to cook. And so over the years, I've like, cooked it for myself over and over and over again because it's super easy you literally just have tomato chunks scrambled eggs like some soy sauce garlic whatever and you it cooks into this like actually actually gross looking mush because it's like mm. kind of wet wet soggy tomato chunks interspersed with like various degrees of of scrambled egg yeah like mm -hmm. some hard some soft some just like mushy that yeah, sounds really good. And then you put it yeah, on I, rice, and it's great. Yeah, yeah. I it used to be like one of the meals I used to have when I lived in Hong Kong for a little bit. Like it was like a very cheap meal that you could get, like in kind of a cafe or something, and they were and it was really good. Like that does sound good. Uh, yeah. Hong, I think like yeah, those those types of eggs, like great. I would actually encourage like you know of all the struggle meals, have have that because <laughs> it does actually taste great. But it's um, so you can't Instagram it. Like I would, I could put it on Instagram, and it just looks like sloppy, like yeah. you know. It looks like cat food again, which is maybe yeah. the, the worst description of food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, but you know, some uh, I I yeah you know social media is too judgmental. Uh, 
And that's like one section that we should be talking about in. The, oh, that's no, it's not a good segue. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If, I feel like it, I feel like it only hits once. Um, no. Why we, uh, we let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about the uh, the essay that uh, we brought we uh, brought you on, Carl, because it was a really interesting one. It came out a couple of weeks ago, um, and it was called uh, "The Infinite Scroll and the Age of Algorithmic Anxiety." Um, and like it's a theme that you've written in your New Yorker column, which is like really really good. Uh, and it's also something that I think people have been talking about, uh, anyone who sort of like works or engages with like internet and content creation engages with it in some capacity. And it, I think like the question is like at the heart of it is like what, how people sort of relate to an algorithm and what an algorithm actually is. Mm-hmm. So before we sort of get into questions for people who haven't read the essay yet, um, would you be able to summarize what it's about and like the thinking that sort of led you to write it? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a theme that I've written about a lot and thought about a lot. I think as anyone who is on the internet has thought about it, um, mm. it just came out of the sense that like we are constantly misunderstanding what algorithmic feeds are doing to us. Like we don't know why a recommendation is getting to us. We don't know why our feed is filled with the specific thing. We don't know why an ad is chasing us around the internet. Um, and I think as like social media feeds have become more and more dominated by algorithmic recommendations like TikTok. You just have less and less of an understanding of like how things got in front of you. You didn't choose to follow an account. It just got served Mm -hmm. to you. Suddenly you're like recommendations page is taken over by some, you know, ceramicists or whatever, some random theme that you didn't ask for. Um, So in the course of like doing various research for my next book and all this other stuff, I came upon this 2018 study by this academic named Shagun Javert. And he was working at Airbnb at the time. And he surveyed these Airbnb hosts who were all super anxious about the algorithm. Like they were worried about how their Airbnbs were being ranked, how they were coming up in search terms for the users. And so he coined this term, algorithmic anxiety, to describe how those hosts were relating to the Airbnb ranking algorithm. And Mm -hmm. I just thought that was like the perfect description of how we all relate to the (laughs) algorithmic feed is like, oh, it makes us anxious because we we don't understand it. Mm. Do you think that part of that is how uh, deliberately obscure how algorithms are like coded is? Like how like deliberately obscure it is both like in terms of uh proprietorial business information but also like in terms of like most people's kind of practical understanding of like how an algorithm works so because something that i something that i've noticed is that there seems to be a there seems to be a kind of weird simultaneous thing where people both kind of disdain the algorithm and also think that the algorithm is all powerful but basically at the same time yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we say the algorithm as just this phrase to like reference any kind of problem we have with technology at this point. Like we, yeah, yeah, I, th- yeah, I think so. I think so. Like every facet of social media and advertising and kind of streaming TV even. Um, so in, in part, I wrote the essay to like narrow that down a little bit and, and figure out like, mm. what are we talking about? Like definitely when, when my editor and I were discussing it, she was like, oh, this is, you know, what is the phrase when like what are we when we talk about algorithms what are we talking about or whatever um and so i think the more of a fail to predict the 
No, never mind. Sorry, that was a stupid joke. Never mind. <laughs> it's a really, really stupid no, joke. I, I totally fucked up the phrase, which is like, I don't know. What I'm we gonna... talk about when we talk yes, about the algorithm. Yes, that's it. <laughs> it's like too many words. <laughs> um, but, but that's it. And it's like, literally, in a literal sense, the algorithm is just a recommendation algorithm that like decides what the next mm. thing is in your feed. So that could yeah. be like, what shows up on your Spotify homepage? What's in your Twitter feed? What's the next song in a Spotify playlist? And I think like the more we narrow down on that specific thing, the more we can actually understand what's going on. Because you put you point out like that algorithms have kind of been like in time, like the advent of personal computing, like algorithms have sort of always been there. And the initial iteration of it is just well, you need you need algorithms as kind of like sort information, and you need them you need it as like an organizing principle. But obviously, when we talk about algorithms now, uh, we're not really talking about them as like you know ways of which to like ways in which like people manage their own sort of personal information or they manage their like online experiences it almost feels like something that is kind of omnipresent and inhuman but at the same time something that people both overstate and underestimate like and sometimes overestimate as well um i was thinking a lot about the work that um nick siever who i think is an anthropologist but someone who i studied while i was doing my master's degree um talked about when he was talking about like recommender systems and just the idea that like people will kind of like the way that people act can often or like the way that like people online sometimes act uh can often be in anticipation of what they believe the algorithm is doing so if they believe that the algorithm is like favoring certain kinds of content even if it's not they will kind of continue to like produce that type of stuff which then means that like algorithms can change as a result of it it feels like especially for like creators and people who make stuff online and people who like are producing things on the internet like that type of overestimation um seems to kind of like almost i, I don't know if like perpetuating or at least sort of like amplifying uh, I, I guess like the best way to be is like overstating its power and i wondered whether you could talk to us about how we sort of got to this stage about of like how like fear not even just fears of the algorithm but just like thinking about the internet in terms of concepts like algorithms sort of took place even to the point i won i think in 2016 like post trump and post brexit over here there was so much talk about like oh the algorithm is like manipulating people's information and like the people who like understand it the most are the ones who will sort of have the most political power and purchase something that was never really proven in very direct ways but was like something that was like a line that was this like sort of held together and i wonder whether it's like both the misunderstanding but also just like i don't know if it, it, i don't know if it's like a contradiction even when i talk about it like it can feel very confusing because it does sort of feel like people are constantly aware of its existence but in kind of like not understanding how it works they can amplify its worst excesses if that makes sense yeah like in anticipation of what you think algorithms are doing you thus mm. act in certain ways like whether that's true of the the algorithm or not like i i cited one example in this essay that like i remember at a certain point people would post fake engagement announcements or like weddings on in a facebook post where they'd start yeah. a facebook post like i'm getting married or like yay can't like i just got engaged and then they would write their actual message because there was this belief that the algorithm like looked for wedding and engagement announcements and then like served them up to so many more people than they would otherwise. Um, mm. So then the feed just got taken over by these fake engagement announcements to the point where like, you know, it obviously stops working and it just clutters your feed with this kind of algorithm induced spam. Um, 
So I do think like a lot of the time people are molding their actions online and adjusting their speech or adjusting their content in anticipation of like what they think the algorithm promotes the most. Um, And sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not true. But the reason that we don't know is because there's absolutely no transparency around what Mm. variables are measured at a given time or what the emphasis is at a given time. Like I think even right now, we're going through this kind of crisis of Instagram where they're clearly promoting videos over still images Mm. and that's getting more algorithmic promotion. So we see that happening and then we Mm. adjust our behavior accordingly. Like we start posting more videos and creators and small businesses switch to videos because that's what the feed is picking up more. Oh, so like you could say that they're pivoting it's, to video. It's very yes. funny that what, like, <laughs> like every few years we have a new pivot to video. And it's like, it's literally every single time it's like, no, 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 no. This is pivot to video, but it's different this time. And then the users are like, no, it's the same. This is, this is not a new idea. This is the same idea. <laughs> and now it's like individual humans. Like, like yeah. Facebook misleading media companies. I'm like, you guys fell for it. Sorry, like that, it sucks. But now where it's like, no, you don't want to post still images anymore. You really want to post videos of yourself, of your dog, yeah. whatever. I'm like, no, I don't actually. Like, actually, no, I don't. I and like you to can't make me. It, but I'm never, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm not going to start recording front facing camera monologues to post on yeah. my Instagram. It's just not yeah. what I want to be doing. Speaking of consumption, because Call, like, sorry, yeah, calling it calling it a crisis of Instagram is just, I just really <laughs> like that. That's just a re- I really, really like that as a concept. Well, I mean, like, I don't know, it seems to be terrorizing the Kardashians, like, a fair amount. So, uh, but I was going to ask about, like, so we like, for good of the consumption, like, just the idea of consumption as well. So in the piece you interview, uh, like, one of the people that you interview is someone who uh, is just talking about how, like, the algorithm is, well, the, to, to, to try summarize, it was like they, they were searching for something uh, with the intention of, like, buying it or, you know, at least, like, looking at its price and stuff. And as the algorithm kind of kept feeding them like things that were either directly related to the stuff that they were searching or the thing itself that they were directly searching for, um, the premise of the algorithm was like, oh, it knows that you like, you know, you know, it knows that you like product A. So it's going to like give you like product B, C and D, which are sort of loosely related to A um, because like it will it wants to anticipate what you're going to buy before you even know it or before you even need it. But the side effect of that is that it kind of also limits that person's online experience in and of itself, right? So like rather than kind of yeah, I, I, I guess I guess I guess like the question that I wanted to ask you was about like the effects of the algorithm in terms of how people um experience like the internet as kind of like for lack of a better term, consumers. Because it sort of gives it, the the impression that I got from reading your piece was that one of the one of like the, the down effects of the kind of dominance of the algorithm and platforms that are dependent on them is that it narrows people's digital experiences like in almost every way and that might also lead to this like broader problem that i think a lot of people are facing right now about like oh why is the internet just like not very fun anymore mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think it the algorithmic recommendations and the like paid advertising business model means like Uh, once you start drifting into one rabbit hole, you're suddenly bombarded with stuff from that rabbit hole. Like whether it's, Mm -hmm. I think it was leg warmers in the beginning of the piece for this woman. Um, She just was like bombarded with leg warmers until she bought them almost, you know, against her own free will. 
Um, (laughs) And in another example she told me about, like she got really into astrology and followed a bunch of astrology Twitter accounts, but then got totally alienated by it and was like, why am I terrified about the position of the moon? Which is a fair critique of astrology, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, So she was like, okay, no more astrology. I'm going to unfollow, get rid of this stuff. But Twitter's recommendations kept giving her astrology tweets. Like suddenly she knows Mercury is in retrograde and it terrifies her. Um, So she has no way of escaping that like rabbit hole once she's in it because there's so little way of talking back to the algorithm, which I think is a big problem that I keep coming up against. That that's the that's the main thing I think that uh, that people find so anxiety producing is that they there's no way of communicating with the algorithm. The only thing that the algorithm algorithm is capable of measuring is your behavior and your responses. It doesn't know what you it has no way of knowing what you feel about those things. <laughs> so like if you yeah. so if you're like get into one of those kind of like um looking at like looking at like the kind of the timeline of uh someone who you've come across and you just like oh, i hate this person and then you kind of end up like looking at the timelines of the people that they're talking to and then obviously like any kind of algorithmic intervention is going to be like this is something that they're More clearly that. interested in or they're clearly enjoying yeah. because this is what this is where they're giving they're giving their clicks and they have no and the algorithm has no way of detecting you being like oh my god oh god this is awful i hate it i hate it i hate it um and it just responds in exactly the same way and i and it I think in this particular instance, I think it makes sense for us to differentiate between uh, like subscription apps which load their own content, which you can then consume according to their obscure algorithms and apps which are ba- which are based on a kind of corpus of sort of user generated content, because that that to me seems like a kind of like a kind of important distinction to draw because if you're like if uh, the the example you use is uh, is spotify so if you have this idea like if you have this idea that like spotify is like um it like has is somehow spying on you and knows and sort of knows knows what you want to listen to and it's like recommending you all this stuff and it is and it it is probably nothing more obscure or esoteric or frightening than just metadata and like metadata pairing like that's like that's pretty that's probably what that's probably what spotify is using is like it's 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 fine it can't hear you if it can love your service um please keep it coming please 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 come up with more idiotic functionalities i really want to know what a joint playlist between me and one of my friends might look like i that's that's what i want to know no i don't fucking want to know i just all I want to do, all I want to do is just like listen to new music. That's what I want to do. That's yeah. what I'm using my Spotify like for. The, yeah, the Spotify. Well, please. But the, but the but the difference between that kind of anxiety and that kind of why am I being shown this stuff in particularly? What about my behaviour as I use this subscription service, subscription based service? Like, what about that is learning? from my actions and then kind of feed and sort of feeding back to me is very different from the uh sort of two-way anxiety of why am i being shown this stuff in particular and also who is being shown my stuff Mm. so if you are consumer and producer at the same time then that like then that creates a very different kind of uh very different kind of feeling about like what the algorithm is and what it does because the idea of other 
of like who is discovering your content is like I think much more of an alarming and troubling one than the idea that like Spotify somehow knows um, somehow knows that you're really pumped about the new Lana yeah you don't want to feel misjudged I think there's like in the in the first case in the consumer scenario like the main thing is you don't want to feel misjudged by the algorithmic recommendations or you you wanted to somehow separate your like guilty pleasure of music from like the stuff you actually feel that you like as a, as a positive thing or something. Um, But then for people who do exist publicly and are posting more stuff, it's like you lose control of what your audience Mm. is and who sees it Mm. pretty much instantaneously. Like I feel like, you know, 10 years ago on Twitter, you kind of had a sense of who you were talking to and it was just a smaller platform with less reach beyond who was mm-hmm, literally yeah. following you. And now it's like your stuff can just drift to anyone at any point. If yeah. you come up yeah. with some thing that's like banal and funny enough that it just like attains yeah. a life of its own. Suddenly you're reaching people you had no intention of communicating well, with. Yeah. And then there's the kind of, and then there's the kind of uh, feedback loop kind of sort of people call it an echo chamber like literally an echo chamber of this of this like interesting little multimedia ecosystem where where like platforms exist to post content from other platforms (laughs) so like so like if you're um so if like an old tweet is suddenly getting like loads of like attention and traction your your first thought is where did it go? Where did it end up? Is it on an <laughs> is it is it on an Instagram meme account? Has it made it onto has it made it onto a subreddit? Oh God, where where is it? And and it and it kind of and it sort of sets off this kind of impulse that you know there's nothing you can do about algorithmic discovery or like where your the stuff that you make is being is being kind of displayed, but you can try and find out where it's been reposted and where it's been screenshotted and and like and it's almost like people trying to kind of like operate as their own little kind of as their own little um personified algorithm it's like if i can just find this one subreddit that apparently has screenshotted my tweet which is why i've got weirdos in my mentions and and have done for the last couple of days um then maybe i am able to like exert some kind of control over my user experience either of user user generated content apps or of this is content here you go here you go here you go um which again i think there is a i think there is a kind of broad distinction to draw between between the two but i think that yeah i think it's like a kind of i think it's like almost like a kind of divine search for meaning the search for the algorithm like like that there must be some um some explainable um some explainable uh thinking behind it and it's got to be it's got to be something there's got to be more than just well it's a code base which companies which exist to make money use in order to um in order to like stream in order to kind of streamline things from the back end that's what that's what it is that's all it is and it's like no 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 it must be something there must be something more <laughs> right well, there must be there must be posting heaven and posting hell yeah it influences us so much like our recommendations shape what we see and consume and who we talk to and everything else it's like mm. you almost have to build some deeper meaning into it or project some yeah. deeper meaning onto yeah. it because if if it truly is nothing if it truly is just a bunch of variables 
being tweaked, like, why are we doing this? See, that's the question which we it. can just never ask. We must never <laughs> ask for the why. Yeah. Like, well, even, I think this, you look yeah. for other social platforms now that are not algorithmic feeds that are purely chronological or just, you know, don't have that sense of uncontrollable promotion. And like sometimes they're good, sometimes it's boring. <laughs> like we've we've kind yeah. of let the genie out of the bottle in that way, where we yeah. we want the constant risk of like being projected to a hundred thousand people or yeah. I, knowing I was kind of, who we are. Yeah, I was kind of talking about this with Casey Wave the other the other week about because she uh she exp- she uh went on Be Real uh for a little bit and like obviously that's kind of at the moment it's marketing itself as like you know the social media app that like you know it doesn't rely on an algorithm and like you know it actually wants you not to post very much so like your posts are meaningful and like all that stuff but like based on its kind of predecessors that also kind of like use the same marketing copy um only to kind of find that like oh the vc money that like funds this project or like any sort of hope for expansion like has to sort of rely on an like an expansion model of which like you have more users and more content and at a certain point when you have like you know i i I guess i guess the question for any kind of app or platform that really wants to sort of be like a non-algorithmic platform is like well why why should people like go on it if um like what's the appeal of people going on it and i think partly that's kind of to do with just the fact that like as you as, as you've alluded to kyle like the way in which we use social technologies now is one that like has been mediated by like evolving algorithms for so long that like the way that we post is like influenced by it. Um, Phoebe, when you were talking about like you know the, the phenomenon of like what happens when your tweet goes viral and you have no control over it, like that happens to me like a, that it doesn't really happen so much anymore, but it used to happen to me quite a lot because I had a couple of tweets that were like basically like there's one we and I've spoken about this like a long time ago that gets like a lot of Hindu nationalists really mad, right? And that area of Twitter is really, really weird. But like maybe once every six months, they'll kind of rediscover it somehow. And it'll like kind of go from Twitter. It will like recirculate through Twitter like all over again. And I'll find myself like having to like convince these people that like I am not a doctor who (laughs) like whispers like the words of the Quran into like English babies' ears to turn them Muslim. Like, do you realize how insane that sounds? But at that point, like it doesn't really matter. It's kind of become its own thing. And I remember when it first happened, like I spent a really long time trying to figure out like how, like what was like the path that led from like where are the screenshots coming from and who keeps posting them and like why are they doing it? And I found myself like after a few hours doing this, like the second or third time, I was like, why I was re- really questioning my behavior because it almost felt like I was kind of imitating an algorithm or I was at least trying to like turn myself into a competing one with with the intention of like believing that i still had some control over mm. this thing that i could like you know i could basically be an internet plumber and like, <laughs> except, like really... find out where the <sighs> leak is coming from no i would be like a reverse plumber <laughs> i would like put the block in it i would get the wad of like toilet paper uh-huh. and like you know swedge it down or whatever like you know uh however you block a drain like you know oil or whatever um i didn't want what, it to like... fixing a leak which plumbers do you don't have to be a reverse plumber I could be a normal plumber. Okay, you could be a regular okay. plumber. That's allowed. Okay, I would be a reverse plumber or a regular plumber, depending on how uh-huh. you understand plumbers. Um, and, uh, and, um, um, and I was like, this is absurd, like what I'm doing. And ultimately, I really had to accept that, like, no, this post that you made has a life of its own now. And that life is kind of controlled by an evolving algorithm that you have no say over or like you have no kind of like democratic uh, 
engagement with and it's one that kind of like evolves as the internet does as well and then i have to sort of accept with that that like this post is going to like regurgitate in different forms because when it first came when i first did it um in 2018 like the people who were really mad were like trump voters right they were the ones that were really pissed off of me and i found that funny whereas now like the people who are really mad at me are hindu nationalists and like modi supporters and like people who i don't actually know how to engage with it's the same post but like the trajectories have changed a lot as like you know the platform has expanded as well so i guess like another question i wanted to ask you was just the um whether like the expansion of this algorithm but also the kind of idea of the algorithm um whether like whether there's kind of like a kind of contradiction in that in the sense that on the one hand, out these types of algorithms are kind of central to how social media platforms value themselves, right? So like TikTok and stuff like has a really good algorithm, like part of its like the major part of its value is just the fact that like it can recommend you better, like quote unquote better material than like other platforms can, including Instagram. But on the other hand, in order to kind of really be on these platforms, whether as a creator or a consumer, like your behavior almost like imitates that algorithm where it has to kind of engage in a way that like exists on its own terms so like is what 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 do you think this sort of says about like how social media platforms now view themselves and like what they expect of their user base more broadly mm. yeah i mean there was a good blog post on medium or something uh that i saw last week that was kind of you know some someone in tech like a kind of entrepreneur type who blogs on medium um but he made a distinction between like social media, which was about people connecting with their friends and family and like kind of the classic Facebook message. And I think he called it recommendation media, which is like, okay, you're not following your friends and family anymore. You're not like connecting with people, you know, you're just here to consume content that gets recommended to you, like yeah. from various sources around the internet. Um, so I think that that like shift from less linear or less algorithmic and more linear feeds, like more intimate connections to what we have now, which is like super algorithmic feeds, super broad and, and abstract connections to, to people. That's kind of the direction that social media is moving in or that digital platforms are moving in, like mm. more mm. recommendations, less stuff from less stuff that you actually choose to follow. Um, more like automatic curation of your feed i guess mm. and but i think that becomes alienating for people really quickly at least yeah for, for platforms that haven't been designed yeah. for that like tiktok is designed for passivity and i yeah. i probably I, I only hit follow on people to signal to the algorithm that i want more of it like i never check yeah. my actual stuff more sandwiches yeah right. what more really what more horrible <laughs> horrible messy sandwiches <laughs> I actually, I actually have a question. Has there ever been a, a whistleblower from any of these, any of these companies that have like leaked into the public domain how the algorithm works? I think the some of the Francis Haugen stuff dealt with that yeah. with mm. with Facebook and Instagram, especially how Instagram knew it was promoting things to like. The, the young yeah. women's demographic it's funny that we still call it facebook like right. i like i like like i'm sorry i am not i'm not calling it meta i don't yeah. care it's like i know and i know for a fact that this is that this is like our generation's version of 
like people older than us being like, "Oh, what this, this used to be called? This used to be called a marathon. Now it's a Snickers." <laughs> like I'm not calling it that. I'm calling it a marathon for the rest of my life. Like you know, kind of elderly people who still yeah. call the radio the World Service. Um, and I know that that's like it should be called the World <laughs> that Service. Way that's such a cool name. <laughs> Like, uh, what, like, what, because it's, it's called, um, all four now, and I still call it 4OD. It yeah, hasn't been 4OD for a decade. It was actually very funny because my, <laughs> my girl, my wife, not my girlfriend, my wife, who is like, uh, my girlf wife, my girlf wife, uh, who is like four years younger than me, uh, I, I, I said to her the other day, like, oh, can you put 4OD on? It's like, she was like, what? Like, yeah, what, what's 4OD? And I was like, you're not, yeah. you're not that, you know, I thought she was fucking around with me, but she was being genuinely serious. Like, you know, she was able to adapt to that name change better well, than I could. Well, in 2040, when they open up the the uh, meta re-education centers, <laughs> and we'll still be calling it Facebook and our kids will laugh at us because yeah. we're still calling it Facebook. Well, yeah. it's like so meaningless now too. I think this is another like aspect of social media now is there's like the great unification of every platform and they all mm. work the same and they all kind of exist for the same reasons like facebook or meta or whatever did ruin instagram and instagram is now not instagram it's just like image heavy facebook or whatever Mm. yeah like it's also very loud they did give us emoji reacts on whatsapp and that's made my life not better but (laughs) it's made it easier to end conversations yeah but they're like (laughs) yeah but it also just means they can ruin ruin that too i don't know i was what i was going to say about the francis hagan stuff was also like you know it was the first time but i think public like it would you know vx there was kind of like a bit of an expansion of how people talk and think about algorithms that weren't just like um really overstating what it could do which was like the overstating of like algorithmic power was something that like Cambridge Analytica used like to mm, kind of shore up its investments yeah, as well. Sure. But I think like the reverse almost happened with Francis Hagen, where like the same type of overstating or the same type of like the same results would have happened where because it was so fixated on like the election of Trump. And I think because like so many people had already kind of decided that like, oh yeah, the algorithm um meant that like more Trump supporting stuff was shown on people's screens and therefore people like just kind of, you know, that's kind of what swung it. I think because that decision seemed to have already been made, like, especially to a Congress and to like politicians who like for the most part don't don't really understand like how people relate to social technologies more broadly. But like any kind of fruitful conversation about how algorithms work or like I think more broadly, like what people's relationships are to digital space and the algorithms that kind of like organize it that still seems to be kind of vacant and i think i know i found this when i was like doing my master's degree as well where like it was just really difficult to like actually talk about what people think their relationship to an algorithm is it doesn't seem to kind of be like a language for that and i didn't Mm. like maybe your maybe your book like might kind of uh, help us like work that out um and maybe that's also like because i know i'm conscious that like we, we will be out of time soon i wondered like whether you had any thoughts about how people how we should be thinking about algorithms as like consumers and maybe even like creators but also how like where the con where language sort of needs to go in order for us to sort of like have a more proportional understanding of like what algorithms are especially because it seems to me that like social platforms have kind of given up on like even pretending that they want to create technologies that aren't so dependent on these recommended things and like have sort of decided at least with like facebook well yeah facebook and like other places being like um yeah we're just going to create different versions of tiktok 
just kind of signaling that like no we're actually going to become a lot more dependent on recommender systems to organize like our members and like the stuff that they put out there yeah yeah i do think there's like <laughs> a language problem or like an absence of good language to define this stuff and it's like we can start with the algorithm which references all sorts of different things from recommender systems to digital surveillance to targeted online advertising and like mm. start to break that down and think about the different parts of it um i think like understanding recommender systems specifically and thinking more about how things get recommended to you and how mm. automatic mm. playlists happen is important um and then it's just like, I mean, I think the hardest part is just acting in accordance with your preferences and beliefs in this situation. Like, mm -hmm. if you do feel like algorithmic recommendations are undermining your experience or like your relationship to culture, you have to go out of your way to, to break out of that feedback loop and like, find yeah. other sources of culture, find different ways of educating yourself about stuff. Mm. So... I mean, I have a problem with Spotify where it's like, I use Spotify all the time. I let the automatic playlist play sometimes. Um, and I tend, I like hit fave on, you know, some nice Samba record from 1963. And I'm like, great, this is cool. But I don't go the extra step of like researching who this musician is. What are yeah. their other albums? Should I buy yeah. them, you know, on... I don't even have a functioning record player, but it's like, should I, should I somehow consume them in a different way? now that I know about yeah. them, how can I deepen my relationship and deepen my understanding of this stuff? And I don't want to mm -hmm. make like a kind of Chuck Klosterman or whatever, like hip nineties hipster, like, you know, <laughs> you have to think super deeply about your tastes and educate yourself. But it's like, Instagram, TikTok, whatever has made our relationships with culture so shallow yeah. and so instantaneous that like yeah. almost anything is an improvement on just hitting yeah, it, like, and, like even, follow. Even like the quite kind of scattergun approach that you're describing, which is like pretty much kind of, okay, well, I've heard of this thing. So I'm just going to find some stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to find stuff. I'm just going to find it. And I think a lot of people just don't really engage with culture on sort of on any on any level in that in that sort of in that sort of way um because it's it's easier to consume what is recommended to you like yeah it, it's 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 easier to do that it takes less time it takes less energy and like every so often you get a look you get like concerned and anxious about like the <laughs> idea of there being this like kind of all-seeing all-knowing recommending kind of god figure but an algorithm is programmed by a person or a group of people uh which is something which we should probably not probably not forget and there is there really is no harm of like kicking yourself off the treadmill of cultural consumption like because mm -hmm. part of it is is inculcating the feeling that you will never catch up you will never consume it all it's not possible um and maybe it like maybe it does make sense to make a kind of make an extra effort to find something which has not been recommended to you by a code base maybe it does yeah yeah i think i mean i can only speak personally here but i think there's also like a fit i think well number one i don't i, I wonder how much of it is just to do with like the death of search as well and I, I like i thought that like it'd be interesting to hear your opinions on this just because i remember when i was younger 
like the like i developed my music taste like at the time when you know the internet was sort of you know expanding and like a lot of my uh you know the, the stuff that i got into was really just through like and like hours of searching on like alta vista or like whatever was called like yahoo yeah, yeah, yeah. uh was like a big one as well right and you know it was something that i just grew up with and it was something that you were used to um and but you would like go out and search for stuff and putting into yahoo answers what is the current sick beat yeah well no i would be like what bands have what what bands have djs in them and you know what you know what i still it's do not that. enough and I, I still it's do, not enough and i still do, and i still do that now um but like you know now obviously with spotify and like there are certain things that like i like about spotify like you know um especially when it comes to music that you're supposed to sort of passively consume like yeah i kind of want stuff it just basically does sound like limp biscuit and it gives me that stuff <laughs> right like great to work out for but if i like actually want to listen to new music i find that kind of difficult i find it difficult to like take recommendations from people that i know whether like sometimes it's you know you'll post a really good album on like your instagram maybe oh i should listen to that but i'm like oh but like what if i don't enjoy it or like what if i have the wrong opinion about it <laughs> and then i'll just go to yeah, spotify yeah. and like they'll be like oh um, what a DJ with a, a band with a DJ in it that I haven't heard hit that hit, shit. hit um, that play and you're kind of like okay well it sort of gave me what I wanted but like it, it gave me like what I was like what I felt was safer but not necessarily what I wanted yeah. um, and I wonder whether like search like pathways and stuff and like just the decline of that and and you know with that also comes like how Google has changed as well where um, anyone who's kind of like used Google for like very basic things will find that it takes a while to sort of like get away from like the ad recommendations because that or from, because or from pinterest because that also like has like its own algorithm uh, like algorithmic like um ranking right. system as well so you can't even escape it from there but i wonder whether like the decline of you know search engines as kind of efficient tools to organize and discover things means that there are people who are like much more reliant on algorithms to kind of like do a different kind of searching for them and therefore there's more of an inclination to be trustworthy of that, even though these kind of recommender algorithms are so dependent on you giving away so much of yourself to make it function. Yeah, like <clears throat> recommendation algorithms becoming search engines, I think is a super good way of thinking about it, where like yeah. instead of looking something up on Google, like to explore an open field, like I'll look it up. I, I look up recipes on TikTok often. Because it's like, okay, no, they're short videos. <laughs> um, it's easy to understand. And like that becomes my whole search field. Like I think that searching mm. process has become more passive in kind of every mm. way where Google will show you the answer before you even get to the results of websites. Like mm. TikTok will yeah. immediately show you the three spaghetti carbonara videos with the most views ever. Um, yeah, Like search has become much less about the user doing things than just like the the search algorithm surfacing the most easily accessed content um so i think that like prevents people from exploring further on their own in some ways and i think just generally like, the problem that all of this circulates around is like discovery as tech mm -hmm. people talk about it where it's like the problem of how you discover new cultural stuff like discover a new musician discover a new artist discover a new writer and so much of discovery now is just bracketed within digital platforms that it becomes almost weird to like ask your friends what a cool new band is <laughs> which yeah. before was that's what how yeah. everything worked like that was the only way to do it and that i think that ties into the uh basically the, the, the slow death of uh 
sort of cultural criticism as a kind of as a recognizable genre as well because mm. if you want to find like because in the past if you wanted to find new stuff uh you would look like you would read book reviews or you would read music reviews and it's it's not that is not it's not a rel- it's not a reliable thing because uh because now they're responding to their own kind of imagined demands of the algorithm as well so like unless you like really want to if you really really want to kind of like wade through like uh, like unreadably verbose reviews of like various sludge metal records that you're never going to listen to on like quieters or whatever um like what like what like what do you do you're just going to read you're just going to read music reviews written in such a careful way because the underpaid journalist who wrote them does not want to be does not want to have their home address posted online by a, like by a kind of gaggle of deranged fans look all i'm gonna say is if you're gonna like <laughs> if you're give, gonna slag off limp biscuit you yeah, know what you know give, what happens yeah, if you're gonna give, you know what happens to you if you're gonna get if you're gonna give incubus a 4.5 then like you have you er, you deserve Christ. everything incubus still exists incubus still exists. Okay. Well, this is like another um, like pet theory of mine it's like okay even when you are not directly engaging with a recommender system or like an automated yeah. feed you're still dealing with their influence like yeah. the pitchfork yeah. critic is going to write a certain Beyonce review that's like highly mediocre and careful because yeah, like the one that came out recently, served into Twitter and like accelerated in such a way that they have no control over. So why, like, why would they risk their mental health and safety? Absolutely, like, like, why would you? Like, yeah, what, like, why would you? It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, it is like the last thing I have to say about it, but then I think we do have to wrap up because we're we're running we're running low on time. Um, for the for the past couple of past couple of years i've been doing this uh sort of self-imposed challenge where i listen to a new album every day um and it's really really good because um i realized that it had got to a stage where i basically had not listened to more than like a handful of new records maybe in the kind of previous decade and i found lots and lots of interesting stuff and people recommend stuff to me uh which again is like it's it's it feels like a really kind of like you said like a really like old-fashioned thing to have happen that like your friend messages and says like oh i heard this it feels like the kind of thing you'd like um but i'll tell i'll tell you something because i have been listening to kind of like lots and lots and lots of different genres um and i find the records kind of through other sources i don't rely on spotify to tell me what is out or what I might like so I'm just using it as a search function and it really it's really really confused <laughs> it's it's recommending algorithms so if you look at one of my like curated especially for you playlists they are fucking weird they are so so strange there's no coherence and they look like a mix cd that I might have made what twenty years ago? Yeah, there's like someone in Spotify right now who's looking at your okay, who like, looking like, at your account. What, like, all right, and it's, it's like, refer you, her <laughs> to prevent now because yeah, or or is this like you're kind of like their personal Joker? Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> like so, like your tastes are so twisted. What's yeah. going on? I don't know what she's um, gonna do, but yeah, it's just yeah, it's like it's interesting, and I think that yeah, I think that uh, I think it's a really really good way of thinking about it that uh, that cultural criticism has mm. also fallen prey to uh, like not even like the algorithm as it actually is and as it actually operates but like 
the phantom of the algorithm. Um, and yeah, that's the last thing I've got yeah, to say. It could also about be a good that. episode title. I was just what, thinking, Phantom of the Algorithm. Yeah, that could actually okay. be quite good. Oh, All right. Remember to tell Devin. Um, yeah, I guess, like, I, I guess as like a final question before we let you go, Kyle, um, and actually based on what you were saying, I, want, like, I, I wanted to ask, like, is in terms of like dealing with the algorithm in the future, like, is it the case that, you know, we kind of have to make more efforts to confuse it if we want to like have more, I don't, I don't want to say organic experiences, but at least like experiences that feel more human in some ways. If like, if, if, and I, and I do think that there's, there's like this much broader feeling for people who like use the internet regularly now, which is we want to get back to, well, we want to have an internet that's actually kind of like nice to be on or that you kind of look forward to. Um, do we have to like make more concerted efforts to challenge like what the algorithm like kind of recommends us? Or do you think that might be like kind of futile and that we just have to learn how to live with it in a more, a less submissive way? Mm. I mean, I think I have no hope that like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok will change at all. I think as we, <laughs> as we discussed uh, in the conversation, but I think like, trying to opt out more and more is good and trying to like foster connections with individual people or voices or publications or whatever is mm -hmm. good because that is like a relationship that is productive for you. It like builds over time. It's not just a momentary passive consumption. Um, and it feels better for all parties. I think like rather than just mm -hmm. seeing what comes up in Twitter instead like researching a band buying their album on Bandcamp, maybe instead of streaming mm. it on spotify like mm. maybe their founder maybe the like front man has a newsletter or something like <laughs> I, I feel a little bad that it's on argument for like writing and and cultural criticism or whatever but i do think it's yeah. like important to build build your own sense of taste and sense of discovery outside of algorithmic platforms, however that happens for you. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. I think it's a good place to end. Yeah. Uh, that's like a, actually it's more... an oddly hopeful an place, oddly, yeah. oddly hopeful and positive place yeah, to hasn't, end. That hasn't happened recently. No, it so hasn't. actually I think it's quite so, good. You know. um, so Kyle, like just before we let you go properly, um, if people want to follow your work or uh, anything that you do, how can they do that? Yeah. So my Twitter, which is updated way too often, is at Chika K. It's like my last name, first initial. Um, and Dirt, the, the online newsletter, online culture newsletter is dirt.substack.com. And that's been super fun. And like, I hope is kind of a creative curating voice on the internet. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I write for The New Yorker. You can generally find my stuff at newyorker.com, not in the print magazine. <laughs> cool. Well, we'll add, we'll add links to all that uh, in the show notes. Uh, yeah. And I think we've already done the plugs at the top. But uh, if there's anything else you would like to plug, Phoebe, do you want to do that? Uh yeah, why not? Why not listen to me and Milo Edwards' Seinfeld podcast, which you can find over at Masters of Our Domain, um, which is on Twitter at Masters of Pod, where we post episodes and other stuff that we're doing. And also, I would just like to say that this episode is dedicated to the memory of Rory Wood, who sadly left us last week, and um, we miss you, Rory, and we wish you were still here. Yeah, bizarre. it was took a toll on like quite a lot of us. So we'll add also add the link to the statement that his uh, parents put out, uh, which is like a very touching statement. And I would recommend people like take some time out to read that if they can. 
Okay, and uh, on that note, we'll catch you on the next one. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.